0: Please be seated. Thank you for joining us. If you didn't came in and didn't get a copy of our notes, then please put your hand up. School's back. The notes are back. All right. Now, the notes have just an outline of what the message is, where the different references come from, so you can check them for yourself. And There are some questions on the back uh, for home or for small group use. We had some visitors over a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago now, some friends of Talia's coming for dinner, kids playing together. I'm left talking to the man, uh, trying to make conversation, talking about different things. What do we do? What do we do for hobbies? What have we done for Christmas? What have we done over holidays? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this man says to me, do you know Corinthians? And I thought, that's a change in topic. I said, yes, yes, I know it well. And he says, I love Corinthians. They are my favorite Christmas snack. And he's talking about these kind of Corinthians, chocolate-flavored wafers. I was, talking, I was thinking about the book of the Bible. I thought, oh, we're going to have a great conversation about Corinthians. No, he was talking about chocolate-flavored wafers. I have to say that I really like Corinthians too. I really enjoy them. I don't know why they're called Corinthians, but they are. Are they just an Australian thing? Do they come from other parts of the world? Can anyone tell me? No? Okay, mostly it must be Australian thing. In our church here, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians uh, ever since we finished working our way through the book of Mark. So maybe in a few years' time, the youth group will call themselves Logan 2 too. Uh, but for now, we're Logan 115. But 1 Corinthians is the book we've been working our way through. And where Paul, who's a, a pastor, is writing to a church that he helped to found to help correct them on some issues, to answer some questions. And he's talking to them, but he's also talking to us. Because the challenges of the first century church are the same as the challenges of the 21st century church. We face many of the same issues. And so as Paul is talking to his friends that he knows, he is talking through the ages by the Holy Spirit to us as well. And for Paul, the theme, the repeated idea all through his letter is to point people back to Jesus and what he has done. As he writes in 1 Corinthians two, 2. let's read it together. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified crucified. Paul is a real person writing a real letter to real people in a real city, a real place. Now, there's not much left of the city that Paul was writing to. Nearly 2,000 years later, the ancient city of Corinth has been destroyed many times over. There is a city there called Corinth, not on exactly the same location. And so these are some of the ruins that have been dug out of ancient Corinth. All that is left of the original are some Corinthian columns around a Corinthian temple. The ancient temples and ruins are usually the thing that survives because they're the most elaborate and beautiful buildings made of stone. And in the ancient world, every city would have had temples and shrines and restaurants because, believe it or not, In those days, the temples and the shrines to the great divinities like Apollo or Venus, and in Paul's day, more and more to the Roman emperor and to members of his family were also a place you could go and get something to eat. The temple was a restaurant. Because what people mostly did was come to the temples with animals for sacrifice. And when the animal was killed, it would be cooked. And the family depending on what sort of ritual it was, was might have a meal around that animal. They would consume a part of that animal as the meat, as their meal. But there was usually more meat than there were worshippers. So other people could come to the temple and share in the food which had been offered to the God. So if you were peckish in the ancient world, you could go into almost any temple and find something to eat. And then... Since you know, it's really hard to eat a whole cow or a whole sheep in one go, the temple officials would take what was left over of the meat to the marketplace where it would be sold to other people. In fact, most of the meat available for sale in a city like Corinth would have been offered in sacrifice. The priests were butchers, the butchers were priests. And for that reason, most Jewish people in the ancient world In places where they could not or did not have a butcher of their own, they refused to eat meat at all. They did not want to be involved, even at a distance, in the worship of idols, of man-made gods. And so this gave rise to the idea of kosher butchers, where animals had to be butchered in a certain way to ensure that it's suitable for a Jewish person to consume. This was and is... A big deal for Jewish people, because the Jewish people knew that there's only one God, and only one. There's one God and only one, Yahweh, the Lord, the Creator of the world, the God who'd made a special covenant with Israel. They were reminded of this in their regular daily prayer, and from Deuteronomy chapters four six to five, uh, chapter six verses four to five. Let's read it together. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And for Jewish people, this is a daily prayer. It's often written in elaborate script over a Jewish doorway or written on a scroll. You see the Orthodox Jews with their long uh, hair and they'll often have black boxes tied to their heads. Inside those black boxes on their heads, Uh, is written this prayer, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so, in a world where Jews were absolutely convinced that there's only one God and he is the only one who can be worshipped, how can they eat meat that has been offered to all these foreign and pagan gods? And the same situation presented the same challenges to the new Christian church living in the pagan world. But there was an additional element as well. Because some Christian teachers had been saying things which gave Christians permission to eat meat that had been offered in sacrifice. Not only to buy it in the market, but actually to go to the temples themselves and eat it there. As if they had been worshipping whatever God it might have been. On top of this, around this time, when this letter is being written, there's a thing called emperor worship. It's springing up all around the Roman Empire. The first emperor, Augustus Caesar, the one who'd been on the throne when Jesus was born, he died before in about the year 14 and been replaced. But at his death, the new emperor had come along and said, that old fella, he was actually a god. He was a god come to earth, which was why he was so good and powerful. And of course, when the next emperor died, the next emperor said, that guy, he was a god too. And so they started building these temples, these shrines around the emperors to worship the emperors. And Corinth, the city, though in Greece, was a special Roman colony. It was an important city on a vital trade route and the Romans had special authority there. Roman citizens in Corinth would have been expected to take part in the worship of the emperors the dead emperors and the alive emperors. And anyone who did not go along with it or show up would have been noticed and there might have been trouble. And all of that is background to this part of the letter. Paul's been answering questions and dealing with issues in the church and now he comes to this. And he's going to be dealing with this issue for the next few chapters and he'll build up to his central issue which he won't reach until chapter 10. There's much to find out on the way, much for us to learn as he sketches out the principles of living as a Christian in a pagan world. We live in an increasingly pagan world and we can learn a lot from these passages and chapters. But in this introductory passage to the whole issue shows where the foundations are for Paul in the reality of who God actually is. And we have one of Paul's most astonishing statements on that most central topic. Paul has been writing and arguing with different people in the Corinthian church, these teachers who have been coming up with these strange and weird and wonderful ideas. And Paul, Peter, Paul, I'm having a real trouble speaking today, please forgive me. Paul has been writing and arguing with them about these things. And he sums up their position, the position of these teachers, their slogans, And we'll read them in inverted commas as we go through. And so in the first few verses of chapter 8, Paul writes, Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. That's what the Corinthian teachers are saying. But Paul says, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, he says again, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. Paul responds to these slogans. The first one, we all possess knowledge. In other words, all true Christians, the Corinthians believed, all true Christians have inside them a deep, secret knowledge of the real truth. And this cannot be affected by anything so trivial as eating food that's been eaten, that's been offered to an idol. And we might say, yes, that's right. These gods are all fake. Why do we worry about this stuff? But Paul has a bigger issue in mind. The second slogan, an idol is nothing at all in the world. In other words, he says, they don't have any real existence. They're just man-made nonsense. So going into their temples or eating their sacrificial meat really does not matter. And thirdly, this slogan, there is no God but one. Now, it might be that the Corinthian teachers meant this in the Jewish sense, in the sense from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, there is only one God, and he's the only one to be worshipped. But it was also a common idea in the Greek world in these days that there really only was one God. They thought he was Zeus. And that everyone who was worshipping all these other idols and all these other fake gods were actually worshipping Zeus, just in, in other ways, around about ways. And it's possible that some Corinthians have adopted this idea and are saying, actually, when you go into the temple of Zeus or Apollo or Diana or whoever... Or even when you go and worship the emperor, all of that sort of gets redirected and it ends up worshipping the Christian God as well. That these are all really manifestations of the one and only God which lies behind them all. That's a very un Jewish idea, but it was a very common idea in the Greek world. It's sort of the idea that no matter who you call Santa Claus, all the letters will end up at the North Pole eventually. Yes, whether you address it to Santa Claus or Father Christmas or Papa Noel or whoever, all the letters will end up at the North Pole. And so these people believe that it doesn't matter what God you worship or who you pray to, it's all going to end up in heaven anyway. That might be what they're talking about. And Paul responds to these sayings with answers that are almost... As confusing as the sayings themselves. First of all, he talks about knowledge. We all possess knowledge, they say. And Paul says, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And this has been Paul's argument with the teachers throughout the book to this point. They think they're so smart. And Paul's been arguing with them, going, You guys think you're so smart, but you're missing what's really at the heart. And he'll eventually point that out, what really, what love really means. When he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which for us, by the way, will be November. And in any case, what matters most is not your knowledge about this or that or even about God or the gods. What matters most is God's knowledge of you. He says, but whoever loves God is known by God. And he says, the way you'll be aware of that is by the love you find for this true God deep in your own heart and mind. This already hints at the point which stands behind the whole thing. Christians must work out in practice what that ancient Jewish prayer meant about loving the one true God with everything we have and are. And then Paul responds in verses 5 and 6 to the second and third slogan. Verse 5, he says, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. For the benefit of those on the tape, I am wiggling my fingers when I say gods and lords. It may be the case that no idol has any real existence, but there are certainly a lot of would-be so-called gods and lords out there in the world. Some of them, Paul says, are believed to be in heaven. That is, these traditional gods, Zeus and Jupiter and Apollo and all these others. And some of them, he says, are on earth. By which he probably means the imperial cult, worshipping the emperor. He's a god here on earth. And this Jewish style one god worship, to which Christians remain committed, stands against all of these gods and these lords, whether they have any real existence or not. You can't simply assume that because you're a monotheist, that is you worship one God, that therefore all worship somehow counts. All the worship offered to all the imaginary gods and lords somehow counts as offerings and worship to the one true God. Because Paul goes on and says, for us there is only one God. The true God is different. And the Christian gospel shows just how different Our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God which the ancient Jewish prayer celebrates, the God we are summoned to love. But Paul has glimpsed the astonishing truth that Jesus has revealed that this one true God is now to be known as the Father, and that this one true God is now to be known, the one true Lord is now to be known as Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. And so he writes. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom all th- whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Somehow, Paul says, within the very being of the one God, we learn to see both the world's creator, the one whom, one from whom. Everything comes into being and the one to whom we owe everything. And the world's redeemer, the man Jesus, Israel's Messiah, the one through whom everything came into being, the one through whom we ourselves have come to be God's people. This is mind-blowing stuff today. And it must have been even more so in Paul's day. You see, Paul is not content with just offering good advice or simple rules, a set of do's and don'ts to guide the Corinthians through the difficulties of living as people of the true God in a world full of other gods. He wants them to be able to think through the issues for themselves. And that means thinking about who the true God is and what it means to love and serve him. That remains as urgent a task today as it was in the first century. Are there any questions this morning? Actually, before we come to questions, I'd like us to read that verse again. Let's read it together. There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. I've got that written out in just a simple way in your notes. And I want to encourage you this week to stick that on your fridge. And every time you go to the fridge to have a glass of milk or get out of something sweet or whatever it is you're doing, read it out. There is one God, the Father, from whom all things came, for whom we live, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Are there any questions this morning before I conclude? For those visiting with us, I'd like to stop and see if there are questions in case I've said something that's confused or upset or you'd like to know more about. I don't see any hands. I see lots of waving. Oh, down here, Uncle Ken. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know what you mean. Uh, so Ken's asking about, uh, yes, when Jesus is asked the question, what's the most important commandment? He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Is it 8, verse 4, 6, verse 4? 8, verse 6. He quotes Deuteronomy, where it's written down in here, where it is, six, verse four and five. He quotes that and says this is the most important commandment: love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. He adds in the word soul; it's not there in the Old Testament. That's interesting in itself. And then he quotes and says, then there is a second like unto it, as the Old King James says: you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus says the best way to worship God is to love your neighbour. Basically is what he's saying. Yes, these things are all interrelated, Uncle Ken. They're all mixed in together. But here Paul is drawing on this main issue. He wants them to get there's just one God. And then he wants them to understand that this just one God is and includes Jesus Christ in some amazing and weird and strange and wonderful way. He's not preaching two gods. He's preaching the one God. And out of that, we start to get these ideas of the Trinity. The word Trinity doesn't appear anywhere in the Scriptures, but it's embedded here in these verses. That there is just one God, the Father, from whom all things came, for whom we live, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, through whom we live. That's, proud, that's profound and that's deep. And we're still wrestling with it 2,000 years later. And if you think you understand the Trinity, dear friends, you don't. <laughs> no one does. We won't understand it, I don't even think, in eternity. It's beyond our comprehension. But here are these glimpses. Here are these truths. Yes. Thank you. A good question. Anything else? Okay. Okay. So then the question is coming about what does it mean by God and Lord? Yes. Uh, so, and is that distinguished or is it the same thing? Yes. Um, so the answer is yes, no, and maybe. Yes, they're distinct. God and Lord are distinct. In the, in the Greek mind, there's gods in heaven and there are lords here on earth. So Zeus is the gods in heaven and the emperor is the Lord here on earth. So Paul writing to them says, no, there's only one God in heaven, and that's our God, the Father God. And there's only one Lord here on earth, and that's Jesus Christ. So answering the Greeks, yes. No, because for the Jewish mind, the word Lord is their name for God. So when they talk about Yahweh, they never say Yahweh. In fact, they never say the word God. They won't even write down the word God. I visited a kosher website this week to find out more about kosher things. And they said, this is a commandment from G-D. They wouldn't even write G-O-D on their website. They're that conservative Jewish people. But in the Jewish mind, whenever you see the word Yahweh, you say Lord. So when Paul says, there's one God, the Jews would go, yes. And one Lord, they'd go, yes. And then Paul says, and that Lord is Jesus Christ. And all the conservative Jews go, "Ah," and have a freak out. Yes for the Greeks, no for the Jews, and maybe... It's hard to understand the truth of what he's understanding here. He's exploring stuff and he's beginning stuff. This is a foundation that he will then build on through the rest of the chapter. Great question. Are there any other good questions this morning? Any other terrible questions this morning? No. If you have a question for me and you're worried that it's a terrible question and you, oh, there is one. Lay, is it a good one? Oh, yes. What's your question, Lay? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yes. (laughs) Very good. Very good. So for those who didn't hear what Leigh was saying... There was no question there, Lay, but we take your point. Very good. Lay was saying that she had a visitor one day. Two two people came to the door. Were they Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, or you don't know? Did they have white shirts and black ties? Something like that. Probably Mormons then. And they came to Lay and said, and she said, "What do you want to talk about?" And they said, "We want to talk about God. Uh, We want to talk about the Bible." And Lay says, "We can talk about that if you can answer my question: Where is God?" And they said, "God is in heaven." And Lay said, "Nope, out." God is everywhere and God is in us and God is in our hearts. Yes? So if your answer is that God is only up there in heaven and distinct and different from the rest of the world, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God is involved in the whole thing. Yes, good comments. Thank you, Lay. And this is a good verse when those people come to your door and try to tell you that God and Jesus are two different people and Jesus isn't properly God, you can go. Well, let's read 1 Corinthians 8.6. God is the one from whom all things came and Jesus is the one through whom all things came. If you don't believe me on based on that, go to John chapter 1 and verse 3, which is one the Jehovah's Witnesses haven't changed. So if you're ever arguing with a Jehovah's Witness, don't argue about chapter 1 verse 1. Don't argue about chapter 1 verse 2. Go to chapter 1 verse 3, where it says that through Jesus all things were made. And if all things were made through Jesus, then Jesus must not have been made. He must have always been. And if at that point the Jehovah's Witnesses haven't left, they haven't understood the point. Anyway, I'm not here to argue with Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm here to proclaim what Jesus says. You know, there's much more to Corinthians than chocolate-flavored cream wafers. And there's much more to being a follower of Christ in a pagan world than deciding whether or not to eat meat. And over the following passages we will study... Paul will give principles and ideas on how Christians are to behave. He doesn't give a set of rules and regulations. He does not want to set up a new religion. But he wants Christ followers to think, to know the truth, and to act in love. Following the example of Christ. In today's passage, Paul makes the point that Jesus Christ is the one Lord through whom all things came and through whom we live. A different dimension, but of the same reality as the one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And this, Jesus Christ, Paul says, is the one who was crucified, the sacrifice, the example for us. Let's read it together. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this Jesus Christ is the one who tells us that God's kingdom is not far away and that we should all repent and believe. Let's read it together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And over these coming weeks, Paul will draw from this reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done to say of how we should behave and how we should act in the world. People who think, people who know the truth, people who act in love. So the simple song that came to my mind this morning was, Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, bind us together in love. And then the verse says, there is only one God. There is only one king. There is only one body. That is why we sing Bind us together, Lord. Let us sing this song. And If the Lord is speaking to you this morning, here's your chance to opt to respond. Respond in prayer. Make a decision of what you'll do this week. If the Lord is speaking to you this morning, respond to him.
1: Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, Lord, bind us together in love. There is only one God, There is only one King. There is only one body. That is why we sing. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. Bind us together in love. Let us pray.
0: Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for faithful men and women who wrote it down and recorded it and passed it down through generations. And we thank you, Father, that you are still speaking through your written word today. Father, We thank you for this assurance that there is one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Father God, I pray that you would help us to grasp the reality of that truth even as we cannot truly understand it. Father God, speak to our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, And draw us closer to you. Father God, I pray this week, as we go out into a pagan world where people are obsessed with whatever God they're worshipping, whether it be wealth or success, power, health, Father God, or some other deity, some other God, some other Lord, Father God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and on Jesus Christ, the one who shows us what you are truly like. All of this we pray in his precious and powerful name. Amen and amen. I invite the worship group to come and we'll sing our final song together, but I remind you of some simple things. We want people to meet Jesus. And so we want to grow to be like Jesus. We want to love the way Jesus loves and we want to share his message that anyone and everyone can be part of God's kingdom so I encourage you this week to think again about who you will invite to our alpha course we have our alpha course coming up in term two of this year after Easter we'll be running it on a Wednesday night a Tuesday morning a Friday night plenty of opportunities for you to invite someone to come with you and alpha the guy who does alpha Nikki Gumbel has the gift of taking profound truths and making them very simple and easy to understand so if you've got someone who you think they probably wouldn't enjoy listening to David Rabbit on for 20 minutes about Greek temples on a Sunday morning, bring them to listen to Nicky Gumbel on a Tuesday morning, a Wednesday night, a Friday night, to hear the truths of the gospel expressed in a simple and clear way. I encourage you to pray about who you will invite and do it. I invite the worship group. Letitia is going to lead us. Thank you.